This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, The Progressive, The Daily Show, Media Matters, The David Packman Show, The Rachel Maddow Show, The Colbert Report, Green News Report, The Majority Report, Counterspin, Countdown, Citizen Radio, The Jimmy Dore Show, and The Young Turks with a bonus video clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users from The Daily Show. Very good to see you all here. Uh, next up for you, it's a plaintive quote from a GOP event the night before, Wednesday. I kind of feel like the piñata here at the party. That was somebody who felt like everybody was just picking on him at the GOP debate. He was right. Who was it? Oh, how can I not know this? I watched it. Everybody picking on him. It had to be Rick Perry. It was Rick Perry. Very good. The governor of Texas. He was um, making... His uh, debut at a GOP uh, presidential primary debate. Uh, if he didn't want to get hit like a pinata, he really should not have stuffed his belly with candy and worn his paper mache suit. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I think that he is way leaping uh, to conclusions to feel that he's the pinata at the party. Yeah. A pinata is is full of uh, happy surprises. Yeah, really. <laughs> So Rick Perry did, in fact, uh, get some attacks from the other candidates. He's now the front-runner in the polls. But he went on the attack, uh, too. He thought he'd go after Mitt Romney by comparing him unfavorably to Michael Dukakis. That's a low blow in American politics. <laughs> Romney responded by saying, Perry created jobs slower than George W. Bush did. And Perry said, not true. And Romney said, that's true. And Perry said, nuh-uh. And Romney said, uh-huh. And all the pundits decided that uh-huh is more presidential than nuh-uh. So Romney was declared to have won. That summed it up for you. And then, and then they... And then they all walked down the stage and hit Ron Paul with a stick and a whole bunch of nuts fell out. <laughs> uh, Perry was challenged by uh, the moderators on his dismissal of global warming science, and so Perry compared himself to Galileo, who was, in Perry's view, somebody who was once in the scientific minority and then proved right. Also, Galileo was one of the only two scientists Perry has ever heard of, and he didn't think that the professor on Gilligan's Island would have worked in this context. <laughs> He's not that good with science. No. I, I saw that video of him with the kid asking him about evolution and how he said, what did he say to him? He said, well, that's a, a theory that's out there. And, and the video was just, it cut, it cut off there, so you didn't get to hear the kid's follow-up question about gravity. But I think... <laughs> it would have been great. So I was watching the Republican Tea Party debate on CNN, led by Wolf Blitzer, who I usually don't care for, and I was surprised when Blitzer actually asked a tough question of Ron Paul. Blitzer gave him the following hypothetical. A healthy, young, 30-year-old man has a good job, makes a good living, but decides, you know what, I'm not going to spend 200 or $300 a month on health insurance because I'm healthy. I don't need it. But something terrible happens. All of a sudden, he needs it. What's going to happen if he goes into a coma? Asked Blitzer. Who pays for that? Ron Paul, who's showing himself in these debates to be a heartless old fool, amazingly responded by saying, that's what freedom's all about, taking your own risks. 
and he ridiculed what he called this whole idea that you have to prepare to take care of everybody. Blitzer, to his credit, followed up. Are you saying society should just let him die? Whereupon members of the audience responded with shouts of yes and yeah. What a scary bunch of people. Just as the Republican audience last time showed their bloodlust when they cheered Rick Perry's 234 executions, here in this debate they were even more callous, more creepy. Talk about death panels. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it. Last night's Republican debate was Rick Perry v. Mitt Romney. And as you know, when there is conflict, there is a winner and a loser. The real headline tonight is Romney lives because, because Perry failed. Intellectually, Mitt Romney got the better of him. Romney kept his cool. Romney looked more presidential. Romney was certainly more statesmanlike. Rick Perry is really, you know, asking for trouble when he talks about Social Security the way he did. By embracing the Ponzi idea, he destroyed his candidacy. Calling Social Security a Ponzi scheme, using other words about, I think that's the lead in the New York Times tomorrow, I would bet. Oh, the New York Times. (laughs) My guess is Rick Perry will be furious with their editorial board as he peruses it over croissants and (laughs) margarita. Yes, Rick Perry definitely destroyed his candidacy with that Ponzi scheme comment and the part of his answer where he says Social Security is broken and must be fixed, even though I would guess most people voting in the Republican primary agree with him. The pundits get that this is not a race for the presidency of pundit town. The media, you're thinking about this with the wrong part of your brain. The brain part. <laughs> they were sure that Perry made a devastating conceptual error based on an ill-chosen framing of a popular entitlement program and that the audience would rebuke him for his gaffe. Well, guess what? Reagan Library it ain't a reading library. Governor Perry, a question about Texas. Um, uh, your state has executed 234 death row inmates, more than any other governor in modern times. Have you... The biggest applause line of the night was the mere mention that Rick Perry had executed 234 people. Holy f- balls and by the way like some of them may be innocent but look at this crowd they're not yahoos this is not your torch and pitchfork angry villager these are people with firm opinions on which is the best brand of riding mower the audience of this debate were the people that give out raisins on halloween they own the blind side on dvd and yet and yet and yet they thirst for blood Williams doesn't even know what to do with this. What do you make of that dynamic just happened here? The uh, mention of the execution of 234 people drew applause. In the state of Texas, our citizens have made that decision, and they made it clear, and they don't want you to commit those crimes against our citizens. And if you do, 
you will face the ultimate justice. I'm from Jersey. We don't want people killing us either. <laughs> we don't kill everybody who might. In fact, Brian, I have the, the words ultimate and justice tattooed across my knuckles. Sure, I, I had to double up on some of the letters because the knuckle to letter ratio doesn't... It doesn't, it doesn't work out real perfect. I can't, I can't promise you that justice is, is spelled 100% correct, but I, I stand by the sentiment. Yes, the sophisticated and presidential Romney has no idea how to connect with these people. I don't think you carry cards in the Tea Party. Uh, I, I believe in a lot of what the Tea Party believes in. So I put together a plan with a whole series of points of how we can get America's economy going again. Tea Party people like that. <laughs> now, here's Perry. I hate cancer. Oh, shit! I hate cancer. Romney, you just got rickrolled, mother... There you have it. This is why this man is formidable. Republicans have a choice between a guy with a multi-point fact-based plan that he thinks could get the economy going, or a guy who will punch cancer in the face. All due respect to both Romney and the citizens of Talking Headsylvania, but you're up against something you are too smart to understand. Let me break it down, and I'll use big words so you can get it. In the presence of Republican voters, Rick Perry actuates a neuroendocrine reaction that reroutes any analytic frontal cortex activity as a hot wave of electrochemical impulses stimulating their proto-reptilian limbic system. You don't get Rick Perry here, you get him here. Mitt Romney... I gotta... I gotta do that more often during the show, right? That's quite pleasant. <laughs> Mitt Romney is, is Ralph Lauren, polo roi de toilette. Rick Perry is the resin form of the pheromone found in Sri Lankan tiger semen. So get ready, Democrats, because right there is the ombre you're up against. I hope you got a good strategy cooking. And I think the DNC should take the Social Security line of uh, Mr. Uh, Perry and the attack on Social Security and the Ponzi scheme and put out bumper stickers saying, it's not about Obama, it's about your mama, and we'll win. <laughs> Thus, we conclude our second installment of, oh my God, Rick Perry's going to be the next president. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Danny Herrera. The main headline from last night's Republican presidential debate came when Rick Perry insisted on characterizing Social Security as, quote, a Ponzi scheme. With the sole exception of Fox News Sunday host Chris Wallace, it sounded like the rest of the conservative media agreed with the comparison. A lot of people do believe that it's a Ponzi you know, scheme. Well, you can't disagree it's a, that it is, a, it is a Ponzi scheme. I want to applaud Perry for hanging in and sticking with it. Now, he wrote the book fed up and he's got the description in the book of, uh, of Social Security as a Ponzi scheme. How could it not be a Ponzi scheme? In fact, experts agree that Social Security's structure, logic and mode of operation have nothing in common with Ponzi schemes. Businessweek chief economist Michael Mandel said of those critics, quote, 
On a fundamental level, they are wrong. Here's someone, you said, Lewis, we look at this and we say everybody just looked terrible. Not true. John Huntsman, okay? Huntsman actually went out there and said, the anti-climate change stuff is nonsense. Anti-evolution stuff is nonsense. As, of the, as the Republican Party, we can't just be going out there and questioning all of these things that science, by an overwhelming an overpowering majority has indicated are real. It is nonsense. He's completely right. He has absolutely no chance of winning. And just and by saying that, he's he's doing himself a disservice. You know, but he's being honest. Uh, yeah. You know what? Which is great. If maybe he's not being honest, maybe he thinks this will make him stand out. I don't. I believe he is being honest, and the guy has no chance of winning. He is almost on the fringe of the Republican Party. I think if anyone is lying, it's probably the Rick Perrys. You think actually Rick Perry probably does believe in evolution, but he's decided strategically it makes sense to question it and to I, say... I think that's more likely than Huntsman lying about it's it. It's just a theory that's out there. Yeah. So I actually, if, I, if from that debate, I had to choose someone to vote for, and I know I'm going to get emails when I say this because there's a ton of stuff that I don't agree with Huntsman about, but I'm, look at who I'm picking between. I would pick Huntsman to vote for from that from that debate because he seems reasonable in the sense that he's saying, why are we going out there and denying these things that we know are real? Okay, and then last thing here. Here is a 45-second summary of what this Republican debate essentially was. Here's all the buzzwords. This is really all you need to know other than what I just told you. Right to it tonight. A lot of issues to talk about. Tax. 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 Taxes. Tax. Tax. Ronald Reagan. 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 Ronald Reagan. Tax cut. Reagan. Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan. Reagan. Tax. Ronald Reagan. For Ronald Reagan. President Reagan. President Reagan. I'm with President Reagan. Tax. 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 Reagan. Tax. Ronald Reagan. Tax. Ronald Reagan. Tax increases. Tax cuts. Taxes. I didn't raise taxes. We had historic tax cuts. Reagan. Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan in the Reagan tradition. The Ronald Reagan technique, taxes. Tax, no tax. Tax with tax. I don't want to raise taxes. And tax is tax-free. Tax break, tax break. President Reagan <laughs> pay no taxes. And so our questioning will have to come to an end. All right, so thanks to BuzzFeed for that. I counted 24 Reagans. <laughs> that, Reagan is a big factor in these debates for sure. It's incredible. I don't know why. But he's well, we, big... we've talked about that before. I mean, when... Yeah, but none of these when... candidates have anything to do with Reagan. That's the thing. No, but if you say Reagan's name, people think you're... You're a great, uh, great American conservative, just like Reagan. I guess so. Okay. You want to be as much like Reagan as possible, even though you have nothing in common with Reagan. And in many cases, Ronald Reagan was not conservative. Raising taxes. I mean, we've gone through the whole list. I don't right. want to go through. I know the audience knows this stuff. You've been parking your box on the test been up on a I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able, as anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. 
I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong, progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Debunction Junction, what's my function? First up, I will tell you that I had a mother last night come up to me here in Tampa, Florida after the debate. She told me that her little daughter took that, uh, took that vaccine, that injection, and she suffered from mental retardation thereafter. It can have very dangerous side effects. The mother was crying when she came up to me last night. I didn't know who she was before the debate. This is the very real concern, and people have to draw their own conclusions. That was Republican Congresswoman Michelle Bachman on NBC's Today Show this morning, following up on her criticism of Texas Governor Rick Perry in last night's Republican Tea Party debate for having supported vaccination of Texas schoolgirls against the virus that causes cervical cancer. Ms. Bachman arguing, in essence, to millions of viewers on the Today Show that that vaccine causes mental retardation. Is that claim true or is that false? False. Despite Michelle Bachman's clear implications, there is no accepted medical evidence suggesting that the vaccine she is describing causes mental retardation. In fact, the American Academy of Pediatrics put out this statement today. The American Academy of Pediatrics would like to correct false statements made in the Republican presidential campaign that HPV vaccine is dangerous and can cause mental retardation. There's absolutely no scientific validity to this statement. Since the vaccine has been introduced, more than 35 million doses have been administered and it has an excellent safety record. The, Academy, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and the American Academy of Family Physicians all recommend that girls receive HPV vaccine around age eight, uh, excuse me, around age 11 or 12. That's because this is the age at which the vaccine produces the best immune response in the body and because it's important to protect girls well before the onset of sexual activity. In the United States, about 6 million people, including teenagers, become infected with HPV each year, and 4,000 women die from cervical cancer. This is a life-saving vaccine that can protect girls from cervical cancer. What Michelle Bachman was citing on the Today Show was not evidence about side effects of the HPV vaccine, but rather just an anecdote from a specific person. Who she heard from. In terms of drawing conclusions from that kind of anecdote, as NBC's chief science and health correspondent Robert Bazell reported today, quote, there is no evidence of an association between this vaccine and mental problems. It's not impossible that the Bachman story is true. Sometimes B follows A, but A didn't necessarily cause B. So that claim from Michelle Bachman about the HPV vaccine causing mental retardation, that is false. Next up, true or false? America's embassy in Iraq dwarfs the Vatican. There's a uh, little embassy we built over in Baghdad. It cost us a billion dollars. It's bigger than the Vatican. That's what's bankrupting this country. As Ron Paul says, the U.S. embassy cost a billion dollars and is bigger than the Vatican. Is that true or is that false? Mm. False. 
The price tag for building the U.S. Embassy in Iraq is actually hundreds of millions of dollars shy of a billion, and the Vatican is, in fact, bigger than said embassy. So I'm sorry, Ron Paul. I still want you to come back on the show. But what you said about the whole Vatican embassy thing, false. During a debate, politicians screw up. Politicians get stuff wrong. That happens in every single debate, right, left, and center. But Republican debates these days are particularly fun to fact-check, not because of the one-off screw-ups like the Vatican thing and the HPV vaccine conspiracy claim this morning on the Today Show, but they're more fun to fact-check than usual because of something much more interesting than the one-off screw-up. What you're looking for in a debate in Normalsville is for a difference of opinion between two candidates on some agreed-upon set of facts. We have this problem as a nation. Candidate A wants to fix it this way. Candidate B wants to fix it this way. That's how debates in Normalsville typically work. It's even more interesting when candidate A and candidate B don't agree exactly on the same facts. Social Security is going bankrupt, one of them will say. Actually, no, another one will say. Social Security is not going bankrupt. In Normalsville, that's the kind of debate you have and that you expect. But Republican land is not Normalsville anymore. In Republican land, what ends up happening in debates now is that we watch candidate A, B, C, D, E, F, and G all debate on the basis of what they all agree to be facts that are not true. Things that are not actually facts at all. They all accept the same untrue premise. Something they only think is true because they are Republicans. For example, Ben Bernanke. Congresswoman Bachman, uh, you know that Governor Perry has suggested that Ben Bernanke, the head of the Federal Reserve, potentially should be tried uh, for treason for what he's doing. Do you agree? Was President of the United States, I would not be reappointing Ben Bernanke. This is one of those issues in which the Republicans are not really debating amongst themselves. They are all in agreement that Ben Bernanke bad. The only division between them is the competition to be more vociferously against bad, bad Ben Bernanke. Would Ben Bernanke have a job in your administration? Uh, no, I'd be looking for somebody new. If this guy prints more money... Um, between now and the election, I don't know what y'all would do to him in Iowa, but we'd, we would treat him pretty ugly down in Texas. Speaker Gingrich, Chairman of the Federal Reserve, Ben Bernanke, will come to the end of his term in 2014. Would you reappoint Ben Bernanke? I would fire him tomorrow. Why? I think he's been the most inflationary, dangerous, and power-centered Chairman of the Fed in the history of the Fed. Ben Bernanke, the most inflationary Fed chairman of all time. This seems to be the reasoning for why they are all piling on baldy, beardy Ben Bernanke. Ben Bernanke has made U.S. dollars worthless, they say. It's crazy the inflation that he's created. The most inflationary chairman of the Fed in the history of the Fed. Every time Ben Bernanke does something to stimulate the economy, it just makes more inflation. He's the most inflationary guy ever. Republican candidates seem to agree on that. Here's what inflation has looked like over the last 40 years. Under Fed Chairman Arthur Burns in the 1970s, this was inflation. It was right around 6%. At the very end of the 70s, a guy named William Miller, inflation went way up under Mr. Miller. Then for most of the 80s, we had Paul Volcker as Fed Chairman. As you can see, inflation came down under Paul Volcker. Then it was Alan Greenspan in the late 1980s until 2006. Again, inflation stayed pretty low. And now under Ben Bernanke's chairmanship, Ben Bernanke, who according to Newt Gingrich is the most inflationary Fed chairman of all time. Bink. That's his inflation record. It's kind of anticlimactic, right? 
But again, in Normalsville, if you were assessing the inflationary prowess of the guy furthest to the right in red on this graph, he doesn't really look all that inflationary. In Normalsville, that guy does not look like your inflation problem. But in Republican land, he must be replaced. He must be fired immediately. He must even be treated ugly by an imaginary mob in the great state of Texas because of his horrible, horrible inflationary measures. As represented again by, pink, that tiny little last position on the graph. It's the same thing with the effect of economic stimulus, with the whole idea of whether government can do anything to create jobs when we have a really bad unemployment problem. It is held as an article of faith among the Republican candidates that stimulus spending to create jobs is some kind of democratic hocus pocus. It's some sort of commie con game that they aren't going to get away with again because everybody's on to it now. In terms of the stimulus you talked about, it was failed. He had $800 billion worth of stimulus in the first round of stimulus. It created zero jobs. He has proven for once and for all that government spending will not create one job. You know, looked at from one from one angle, it is true. Uh, according to the Congressional Budget Office, the stimulus package did not create one job. Rather, it, quote, increased the number of people employed by between 1 million and 2.9 million people. So Rick Perry's right. It did not create one job. It created many millions more than that. But in Republican land, that fact, that numerical nonpartisan truth about what real policies have done, it's not even a hypothetical. That fact does not survive the journey to Republican land. It burns up in the atmosphere on the way there. It's not even upon re-entry, it's just upon entry. The fact does not make it. At these debates, and this was the second of what's going to be five debates in a row now, we are seeing the way that Republicans try to win arguments with one another inside Republican land, where, is this, where, where there is this alternate set of false facts from which they are all operating, particularly about the economy. And that is, I have to admit, that is very entertaining. And you do need to understand all of that in order to understand who the Republican Party is going to pick to be their presidential nominee this year. But in the broader context, the election is 14 months away. How do you get things done in the meantime in terms of governing? Given what the Republican presidential candidates contest is showing us about Republican land, about how Republicans talk to each other and fight with each other, how can there be any treaty of cooperation between Normalsville and Republican land to move forward on anything. I mean, in economic terms, what the Republicans are very upset about right now, they say, is inflation. But the reality is that interest rates are right now, hmm, let me round to the nearest number, nearest number, roughly, you know, hmm, nothing. And this is what inflation looks like right now compared to our very recent history of previous Fed chairman. The idea of Republicans helping to pass a bill to create jobs in this country right now is a little bit like trying to plan the particulars of your round-the-world trip with somebody who believes the world is flat. But that is what President Obama is up against right now, as he tries to push Congress to pass his jobs plan. And you can hear it in his speeches that he's not only making the case for taking an around-the-world trip, he is also having to make the case at the same time that the world is round, because apparently we are not all on board with that. Ohio, if you pass this bill, then right here in this state, tens of thousands of construction workers will have a job again. This is one of the most common sense ideas out there. All over the country, there are roads and bridges and schools, just like Fort Hayes, in need of repair. There is work to be done. There are workers ready to do it. 
So let's tell Congress, pass this bill right away. This is just one stop in Ohio today of many on the president's nationwide trip to promote his jobs legislation. Mr. Obama will be in Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina tomorrow. Today's news from the Census Bureau, however, brought an even further sense of urgency to this issue. You may have seen this today. The news that the U.S. poverty rate is now the highest it has been since the early 90s. Nearly one in six Americans now living in poverty. And the specifics are even worse. Child poverty rose from just under 21% to 22%. Poverty among Hispanic Americans went from more than 25% to more than 26%. Poverty among African Americans went from just under 26% to over 27%. Poverty among white people is much lower than those other groups, but it is rising too, and fast. It went up from 9.4% to 9.9%. The only large segment of the American population that serves as any sort of silver lining in these poverty numbers is older Americans. Poverty among Americans 65 and over is statistically unchanged, even as it is getting so much worse for so many other groups of people. And that, of course, is because we have something in this country that keeps older Americans out of poverty. It's called Social Security. And the fact that Social Security works, that it is keeping old people out of poverty in America even as everybody else is slipping into it, the fact that it works means that in Republican land, the front-runner for the Republican presidential nomination is someone who says that Social Security is a Ponzi scheme and a failure. Is there any hope of a treaty between Normalsville and Republican land? Is there any hope of doing anything constructive for the country that has to involve Republicans when this is the way Republicans talk to one another right now? I find it hard to tell you, I find it hard to take When people run in circles, it's a very, very bad As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. What's my lesson? Look right through me. Look right through me. I know that we in the news media have been talking about the 2012 election since 2010. But Monday was Labor Day when we traditionally put away our white pants and take out our white candidates. Jim? Labor Day is traditionally the kickoff to campaign season. Labor Day traditionally kicks off the fall campaign season. Labor Day weekend kicks off an intense, high-stakes political season. It also traditionally has signaled the start of the presidential campaign season. So I admit it, all the coverage up till now has been bull****. 
I know we should have told you, but you wouldn't have watched. But I swear, I swear that everything from here out, every second of the media's coverage is crucial life or death stuff. Case in point, MSNBC's broadcast of last night's Republican presidential debate at the Ronald Reagan Library, where the walls are tastefully painted with the blood of Nicaraguan Contras. Now, the candidates, the candidates all stood beneath the Air Force One that Ronald Reagan used to personally pilot, steering with his balls. Now, for the record, for the record, the Reagan Library is the only one where you can check out a 747. You just have to stamp the sign-out card on the tail. Folks, this debate was so important that I did something that most Americans would be ashamed to admit. I watched MSNBC. Of course, I didn't look directly at the screen. Uh, like a solar eclipse, I watched through a pinhole in a piece of cardboard which projected on your hand like that. Just watch here, you like that. Which had the added benefit of not blinding me when Newt Gingrich's head blotted out the sun. Now, and folks, folks, this debate last night proved that any one of these people over here could be a better president than lame duck fail Obama. Trademark. Now, just look at the man I used to endorse before he canceled coming on my show, Herman Cain. The Cain train delivered a bold idea on how to fix Social Security. Social Security, it needs fixing, not continuing to talk about it. I believe in the Chilean model. Now, I have to admit, I was not aware of the Chilean model. So I put the words Chilean model into Google Images. And let me tell you, I liked what I saw. A very, very firm plan. And Kane wasn't the only one with great ideas. Listen to Texas Congressman and Deadwood Angry Townsman, Ron Paul. Do you advocate getting rid of the minimum wage? Would that create more jobs? Absolutely, and it would help the, the poor. Yes, eliminating the minimum wage would help the poor. For one thing, they would stop envying people with jobs. in the U.S., the summer wasn't just hot, it was record hot. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration says that the span of June, July, and August 2011 was the second hottest summer on record for the entire U.S., just a smidgen below the all-time record set in 1936 during the Dust Bowl. Arctic sea ice is again melting to record lows in the summer. Preliminary measurements indicate that the extent of sea ice in the Arctic has reached new record lows in 2011, breaking the previous record set in 2007, and continuing the long-term decline 
decline as predicted by climate scientists. Predicted, but completely ignored by climate science deniers who say, you know, this whole thing is just a hoax, Des. But climate science was completely missing from the CNN Tea Party debate on Monday night. The debate, which was an unprecedented partnership between CNN and the Tea Party Express, a political action committee, the energy policies from the Republican presidential contenders were essentially the same as they pretty much always are, drill everywhere and burn everything. But they all joined hands to bash the EPA. Here's Herman Cain. I would put together a regulatory reduction commission. The people that I would appoint to that commission will be people who have been abused by the EPA. Now, by abused by the EPA, does he mean people who have clean air, clean water now, thanks to the EPA? No, I think he's talking about the fossil fuel industry, who really got their money's worth from the advertising during the Tea Party debate. Commercial breaks filled with shiny image ads for the fossil fuel industry and an aggressive new ad campaign against the EPA from the American Coalition for Clean Coal Electricity. The EPA needs to slow down. Tell Congress to make sure they do. Of course, it's a lie that Americans must choose between jobs and their health. And of course, there is no such thing as clean coal. But with the Supreme Court's Citizens United ruling unleashing corporate spending on politics, we can expect a tsunami of these third-party ads attacking the EPA, environmental and public health regulations for the next 15 months. It also begs the question as to how aggressive CNN, MSNBC, and, well, Fox News can be in their reporting on these issues, given that they are making millions from the fossil fuel companies to run these propaganda ads. An eagle, eagle, talent screen I never once lived in between. I was on the fence. Hi, I'm Sam Cedar. You may know me from my shows on Air America Radio, from filling in for Keith Olbermann on Countdown, or even, God forbid, my directing shows like Comedy Central's I'm with Busey. If not, you should really get to know me. Not personally, of course. I think we'd both find that uncomfortable. But if you're a fan of the best of the left like me, I think you'll enjoy my daily live show and podcast, The Majority Report, at Majority.fm. It's a daily dose of political news, analysis, and guests like Chris Hayes, Robert Reich, Digby, comedians like Mark Marin, Janine Garofalo, filmmakers like Morgan Spurlock and Lucy Walker, and on occasion, between my rants on raising taxes, ending wars, and decorporatizing our democracy, I can be mildly amusing. I'm unbought and unbossed daily on the Majority Report at majority.fm. Wolf Blitzer, at the end of the debate, goes in and he says, um, what, what would you bring to the White House? So, I want to play this clip. We're going to stop. Now, the first person he asks is uh, who? Who's the first person he asks? Santorum. Okay. So the first person he asks is Santorum. What would you bring to the White House? Now, remember, Santorum is dealing with a couple of issues. Uh, one is he's going up against fundies, and he needs to remind the um, he needs to remind the GOP electorate that he's just as fundamentalist as Michelle Bachman. So he's got to talk about his family. All right. Uh, so so here it is. This is the first thing. If you're president, what would you bring to the White House? Well, mine's pretty obvious. Karen and I have seven children, so we'd add a bedroom uh, for, uh, or, and some beds uh, to the White House. Speaker Gingrich. Okay, stop. So uh, he's got to compete with Bachman. I got seven kids too, even though you've uh, you know been a foster parent for whatever forty-three kids. 
And uh, so he goes to Gingrich. What has Gingrich got to prove? He's got to prove that he's not the Washington insider, that he understands there's Washington corruption, even though he was the most corrupt Washington insider that he could be. And uh, then the other thing that he's got to shake off from uh, is the fact that he uh, cheated on multiple wives. So what do you do? <laughs> and some beds uh, to the White House. Speaker Gingrich. Well, first of all, I would reduce the White House by kicking out all of the White House czars the first day, creating a lot more space. Um, and then, because of Callista's interest, we'd have a lot more music. Because of my granddaughter Maggie, we'd have ballet. And because of my grandson Robert, we'd have a very large chess set. So it would all come together. Congressman. So, you see, I... Even though I screwed around on a couple of wives, one had cancer, I'm a family guy, I love my grandchildren, I still love this wife until I meet somebody younger. I'm all about family, and I'm not for Washington bureaucracy, even though I am uh, the, the only thing I am is a product of Washington. Uh, let's go to the next one. So it will all come together. Congressman Paul. I'd bring a bushel basket full of common sense, and I would also bring a Pause course... Pause for a second. So first thing I would do is I'd, I'd just bring common sense. I wouldn't bring any loony ideas. And then, just to sort of mitigate that... I would also bring a course in Austrian economics to teach the people the business cycle and why the Fed creates inflation and depressions and all our unemployment problems. And then, of course, he mitigates it by bringing a whole bu uh, bucket full of craziness. Uh, the Austrian Mises, uh, Mises, the Austrian uh, anti-Keynesian thought of economics. Hey, here's a little project for you, uh, Ron Paulites. Go look into history. Was there inflation and depression before the Fed existed? Was there inflation and depression before we got off the gold standard? And this is what you're going to find. We had more depressions and recessions, and they were more extreme and more common before that happened. What? Hey, what happened? Okay, next. Governor Perry. It's simple. I'm going to bring the most beautiful, most thoughtful, incredible first lady that this country's ever seen, Anita. Now, what could Rick Perry be hiding? What is Rick Perry? think that he's uh, got a, a liability of. Hmm. I think what Rick Perry is saying there is, I'm not gay. I'm not gay. Why, why'd you ask? Well, I didn't say I was gay. Next up. Governor Romney. Oh, Governor you know Romney. The flip-flopper. The man with no spine. What's going to make him look like he has spine? What is it that he really believes? This, guy, this is a guy who has no conviction whatsoever. He's a liar. He's not brave. He's a coward. One of my, uh, one of my heroes uh, was a man who uh, had an extraordinary turn of phrase. Uh, he, he once said about us, he said, you know, you can count on the Americans to get things right after they've exhausted all the alternatives. And uh, now and then we've made a couple of mistakes. We're qu quite, a, quite a nation. And this man, Winston Churchill, used to have his bust in the Oval Office. And if I'm president of the United States, it'll be there again. So there he is. Mitt wants to, uh, wants to argue that um, yeah, I'm like Churchill. When in fact what he's really saying is that, you know, when you realize that everybody else here is too crazy, you're left with me. 
And then uh, finally, who's left? Congressman Bachman. Ah, Congressman Bachman. I would Bachman. bring a copy of the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution of the United States, and the Bill of Rights, and that's it. That's right. Let's see. The const, uh, the, uh, what did you say? The Declaration of Independence, the, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights, which is the, uh, whoa, whoa, the first ten amendments of the Constitution? But wait a second. The Constitution has 27 amendments. Does Michelle Bachman not know that the Bill of Rights is part of the Constitution, or is she saying that she's just going to leave off the last 16 amendments of the Constitution. Or maybe she's just saying that, don't forget, I'm crazy and not very bright. There you have it, folks. There is the Republican clown car. No, 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 wait, there's also Huntsman. Oh, sorry. We also have Huntsman. Well, what does Huntsman need? I mean, here's this effete, uh, elitist... What is what could Huntsman possibly need to project, Mr. Kane? Oh, it's Herman Kane. Sorry, There's Herman so Kane. What is Herman? What is Herman Kane got to do? Well, let's see what he says. I would bring a sense of humor to the White House because America is too uptight. In other words, Herman Kane saying, "Listen, I'm a bit of a joke, but relax, loosen up, enjoy it." Nine, nine, nine. All right. Now, so what is, uh, what is it that uh, Huntsman needs? What is it? He's projecting this effete image. What does he need to project? Uh, so he's not considered such an elite, out-of-touch, effete type of guy. Governor Huntsman. Uh, and to play into that theme, my wife's going to kill me for saying this, but I would bring my, as a 40-year motorcycle rider, I would bring my Harley Davidson and my motocross bike. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the eight there Republican presidential candidates. There you go, Huntsman wanting to butch up a little bit. Just got to butch up a little bit. Uh, so there's the uh, clown car for you. The clowns. Those daffy, laffy clowns. Send in those soulful and doleful schmoats by the bowlful clowns. Send in the clowns. Campaign coverage can be tedious and uninformative for sure. It seems a minor requirement that it try to focus on actual candidates. But there was ABC World News anchor Jake Tapper, September 4th, announcing that Labor Day weekend means the political season traditionally kicks off. And following that, with the information that Sarah Palin was participating in some sort of jogging event in Iowa which then led to Tapper and ABC senior editor Rick Klein speculating about whether there's any time for Palin to get into the race. Their answer was no. Well, Tapper seemed somewhat aware that this was all a bit of a strange use for the limited airtime of a national news program, even referring to Palin as the non-candidate. 
Then there was a little time left to briefly summarize what actual presidential candidates were up to in case anyone was looking for that. Now, at this point, media would have a hard time offering any compelling excuse for this continuing obsession. A local Tea Party activist wrote to the Washington Post, quote, I don't think average Americans sit around and wonder whether Sarah Palin is running for president. Why are we even following Sarah Palin at this point? At some level, it's just the media, close quote. But then that comment appeared in yet another will she or won't she newspaper article, so it's hard to feel there's really any learning happening at all. We thought this was low, well, it's bad, getting worse, where all the good people go? I've been changing channels, I don't see them on the TV shows. Where'd all the good people go? We got heaps and heaps of what we saw. They got this and that with a rattle attack test and one to Now what you gonna do? Bad news, missed news, got too much to lose. Give me some truth, now whose side are we on? Whatever you say, turn on the boob tube I'm in the mood to obey, so lead me astray And by the way now, where'd all the good people go? Lay out for us the four just general areas in which Republicans have sort of uh, systematically uh, proposed legislation to prevent people from voting. Yeah, so since the 2010 election, legislation has actually passed in 12 states. And this is what they're going after. They're making it harder to register to vote, asking for things like birth certificates that they haven't asked for before. They're making it harder for groups like the League of Women Voters to register people to vote. They are cutting back on early voting, which the Obama campaign used so successfully in 2008. They're requiring government-issued photo IDs, which people don't realize that 10% of U.S. citizens don't have, including 18% of young voters and 25% of African Americans, and writing the legislation in such a way that it really hurts certain groups of voters, students in particular and minorities in particular. And then they're in certain states, Iowa and Florida, they're disenfranchising ex-felons all together and preventing them from voting after they've served their time and paid their debt to society. So this is really quite a coincidence, isn't it? I mean, that this is happening in uh, so many states across the country, and then we conveniently have uh, Senator uh, Graham suggesting that perhaps maybe the federal uh, federal government should get involved in this uh, vote suppression. Just in time for Barack Obama's re-election campaign, right? What Republicans did is they looked at how the Obama campaign turned out a new electorate in 2008 through young people, through minorities, through new voters. And they said, we're not going to let that happen again. We're going to engineer our own electorate. So it doesn't matter whether Barack Obama's up or down the polls. It doesn't matter if the economy gets better or worse. It doesn't matter if you have Mitt Romney or Rick Perry as a GOP nominee. We want to make it much more difficult for these core Democratic constituencies to vote. And you're right, the devil is in the details. You have to scrutinize these laws, and then you see who they're really aimed at. They're aimed at these Democratic constituencies and preventing them from voting in 2012. And so, you know, we, we, we've seen instances on a state-by-state -state level, on a smaller level, uh, and a more localized level of this type of disenfranchisement uh, over the years, 2004, uh, Ohio, they, uh, they made sure there wasn't enough ballot, uh, ballot boxes, essentially, or uh, voting places in certain districts. But now we're starting to see the systematized. Is this a function? I mean, have these laws been out there just waiting? Is that essentially it? They've been waiting for the opportunity? 
They've been waiting for the opportunity, and they've been incentivized by Obama's election in the way that they weren't incentivized before. And they took a look very creatively. They had a lot of power. They didn't have power in all these states. So you have all these new GOP governors, all these GOP legislators, and this was their stealth issue. People thought they were voting about the economy in 2010, and Republicans turned around, and they cracked down on their political opponents, and then they made it harder for them to vote. And so you're seeing this legislation state by state by state introduced. You're seeing the same legislation introduced right. state by state by state. It's very systematic. It's very well funded. And it was passed with a ton of speed in emergency ways. And so Democrats really, before they even could blink, this legislation was already passed and there was very little they could do about it in these dozen states. The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestoftheleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help. So on Truth Out, there's a really good article by Michael Lofgren called Goodbye to All That, Reflections of a GOP Operative Who Left the Cult. And it's exactly what you're thinking. He was a GOP operative and privy to all the secret strategies of the GOP. And now he has left the party. He's really disillusioned by it. So he spilled the beans Mm -mm. on Truth Out. It's a long article. It's a really good read. I highly recommend it. I'll try to post it on uh, my blog, AllisonKilkenny.com. So, like, what kind of, uh, like, what aspects of it was he spelling on? Well, for example, uh, I'm going to read a short little paragraph from it. Um, a couple of years ago, a Republican committee staff director told me candidly and proudly what the method was to all this obstruction and disruption. Should Republicans succeed in obstructing the Senate from doing its job, it would further lower Congress's a generic favorability rating among the American people. By sabotaging the reputation of an institution of government, the party that is prog- programmatically against government would come out the relative winner. So, this makes sense because we've been seeing the Republicans stalling Congress, right? right? All right. So, what that does is lower Congress's favorability rating among, amongst the American people. So, when the Republicans run in the next election and say, oh, we're against big government, they're like, so are we, because they can't do their jobs, forgetting the fact that the Republicans are the reason that nothing is getting done. Right. And, but that's interesting. That's an official strategy. Then there was another... Yeah, because we've actually always talked about that. Right. Right, right, right. Then there's another part of the article that was super interesting, and it's about the the branding of Social Security and Medicare as entitlements. Yeah. Entitlement has a negative sound in colloquial English. Somebody who is entitled selfishly claims something he doesn't really deserve. Right. And then this operative says, why not call them earned benefits? Which is what they are, because we all contribute payroll taxes to fund them. That would never occur to the Democrats. Republicans don't make that mistake. They are relentlessly on message. Mm -hmm. It is never the estate tax. It is the death tax. 
Heaven forbid that the Walton family should give up one penny of its $86 billion fortune. All of that lucre is necessary to ensure that unions be kept out of Walmart, that women employees not be promoted, and that politicians be kept on a short leash. Yeah, someone even pointed out uh, in the intro we have where I'm talking about entitlements and I say it's helping people, someone emailed me once and was like, it, it's worse or better, it's worse than that. It's not just helping people, it's literally what they've earned. It's right. theirs. It's so, a step further than helping people. It is actually theirs. And so we, I love that. I love calling it earned benefits. So everybody just work that into their vocabulary. Don't ever call it entitlement. Entitlements call it earned benefits because when workers sacrifice decades of their own labor, you know, breaking their bodies, devoting their time away from their families, every single penny of that that goes into their social security is theirs. So when these Republicans go on TV and they're acting like workers are somehow, yeah, overprivileged or they they use the word entitlements, just always think earned benefits. Yeah. You know what? Barack Obama caved in again to the to nobody. He, uh, he's 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 caving in. So he the EPA standards they wanted to his own EPA wanted to raise standards for uh, air quality, right? It's uh, because the standards we have right now have been called by this EPA uh, criminal, right? So mm-hmm. they were gonna and the woman who's in charge, Jackson, in charge of the EPA, her son has asthma. Mm-hmm. So she knows the importance of this, right? Mm-hmm. This would help a lot of people. So Barack Obama decided to cave in to no one, mm-hmm. right? Because he could have just done it. He could have just implemented these new standards, and he decided to not implement the new standards. And uh, and it's like, well, why is he caving in? And he, it's just muscle memory now. Mm-hmm. It's just the way. It's, <laughs> just, think, yeah. it's the way. It's the way. The well, I think he believes their their BS line that it's going to cost jobs. I don't think he believes that. I think he's smart enough to know that. It's, then why would he do it? I think it's he he. he He's thinking about the election next year, and I don't think yes. it's correct thinking on his part, but I think he's thinking that he's uh, that that'll be a talking point against him. If that he's, yes, does he realize that jobs. when we're all homeless, we're going to need a clean pond to drink from? <laughs> <laughs> well, my whole thing is like, don't you? Re- yes, don't you realize that if you? He's always worried about the political perception of how the independents see him. That's why he's trying to seem reasonable, and I'm trying to mm. seem that I'm the compromiser, and I'm the guy. Right. I'm not the guy responsible mm. for gridlock, and he's always trying mm. to appeal to the independents. Mm. And I just think this is more of that. He's if he's like, look, I'm, uh, like, you know, what's it, the best way for him to appear reasonable is to implement Republican policies. Mm-hmm. And that's what he does over and over and over again. And it ain't working. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, Brock, don't you realize that instead of just trying to appear reasonable or appear willing to compromise, if you actually gave people jobs, you wouldn't have to worry about mm-hmm. how you appeared? If people had jobs... He's trying to appear reasonable to very unreasonable people. Yes. It's like yeah. it's a waste of time. It is. You know? Well, he actually, uh, Brock actually called in about this. Jimmy Dore is President Barack Obama. Now, I know you're upset because you think I caved to Republicans on small standards. 
But what a lot of you progressives are forgetting is that I quit smoking. So in terms of polluting the environment, it all evens out, don't you think? Okay, you probably think I'm grasping at straws. But that is not true. Especially since there's now going to be so much smog, I won't be able to see the straws, and it will be almost impossible to grasp them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's he's oh, a little drunk, too. I'm sorry, man. My logic has become so tortured that Dick Cheney would sign off on it. Mm-hmm. But he probably won't praise me. Lately, he's been pretty harsh on black Republicans like Colin Powell, Condi Rice, and myself. <laughs> Jimmy, when you become president of the United States, you pretty quickly discover what you're good at. And I discovered the thing I'm best at is caving in on the things that I'm supposed to believe in. You have to play to your strengths, right? Well, it turns out my strength is being weak. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, how about how I handle that? That debt ceiling debate. Last time I saw a cave in that bad, they had to pull 35 Chilean miners out. <laughs> Jimmy, you probably feel that I betrayed my base. Not true. You see, my base is Democrats who don't mind that I betrayed my base. <laughs> and I will never betray them by not betraying the people I promised I'd never betray. <laughs> but I'm also trying to build on that base by appealing to the group I covered the most. Republicans who hate my friggin' guts. <laughs> oh, if I could just get them on my side, I wouldn't have to worry about the group I covered the least. People who voted for me and are desperately hoping I'll do something that will make them believe in me again. <laughs> hmm. Why would I want to appeal to the people who liked and supported me in the first place? Why? What I really want are the people who blindly follow the dogma of their leader. You know, independent voters. So why would I support keeping Bush here smog standards that my own EPA chief said are not legally defensible? There's a very simple answer to that, Jimmy Dork. I'm going to propose forming a group of super congressmen to provide that answer. <laughs> After it's been through committee, and I've had a chance to study it, I will give you my answer. Unless, of course, the Republicans say I shouldn't give the answer, and then I will instantly cave and not give it to you. <laughs> Well, I know this is all convoluted, Jimmy. It's very complicated. But I hope you still support me, even though I sort of deep down hope you don't support me. It's very complicated. <laughs> Boom. Rock out. <laughs> main strategy for President Obama has been, hey, I might not be great and the economy might not be great, but the Republicans are worse and, and they're a disaster, so you don't really have a choice, you're going to have to vote for me. 
Well, apparently the American people disagree. Uh, according to the new Gallup poll, uh, they do think that they do have a choice. Obama is losing to three major Republican candidates. Uh, against Romney, he is losing 48 to 46 percent. Uh, that is not good news. Uh, Romney is a corporate robot. Um, actually, I should be clear, Perry and Obama are tied at 47 percent, uh, although there are some new numbers on Perry where we think that that might switch and, and Obama might be behind. Uh, but that's not as clear yet. And then uh, Obama would beat Paul, uh, Ron Paul, 47 to 45 percent. So basically, you've got three candidates, I should rephrase, that are in either... I, I would call them all a dead heat, because Romney being up by 2% doesn't mean Romney's going to win. Paul, Ron Paul being down by 2% doesn't mean he's going to lose. That's nearly all a statistical tie, right? So Ron Paul might be able to beat Barack Obama when all of Washington believes Ron Paul is as fringe a candidate as it gets. Apparently, the American people disagree. By the way, Michelle Bachman, she's losing. That's uh, clear, right? But it's not that clear. She's only losing 48 to 44 I mean, I want you to pause there and think about that. Michelle Lunatic Bachman is not that far away from Obama. How bad a candidate are you that you're not beating Michelle Bachman by 40 points? I, we're not talking about Republican primaries. Yeah, you're not beating Michelle Bachman by a lot in the Republican primaries. I get it, right? In a general election, you're only four points ahead of Michelle Bachman? who hides in bushes at gay parades, who thinks she's being kidnapped by lesbians and that God is talking to her? You're only four points ahead of her? I, look, I keep telling, <laughs> I keep saying this, of course, falling on deaf ears as far as oh, the Obama administration in Washington is concerned. But you got to turn around, man. Your strategy sucks. It sucks. You're four points ahead of Bachman. You're nearly tied with Ron Paul. You're losing to Mitt Romney. Hi, my name is Luis. Um, I'm calling from Texas. And I'm just calling to echo uh, something I just heard on your show. I've been listening to your show for a while. My wife turned me on to you guys, and I absolutely love it. Uh, uh, the show that I was listening to had to deal with uh, gun control, and I think it was a police officer who was talking about how the most police officers tend to vote on the conservative side. And I've, I'm a fireman myself, and I seem to find the exact same parody here. Um, and quite frankly sick of it um, you know conservatives are constantly at war with us trying to strip us of our union rights our collective bargaining rights and it's just really sad to see uh, some of my fellow co-workers you know adamantly and you know strongly support uh, people like Rick Perry and Michelle Bachman who have absolutely no interest in public servants and uh, anybody out there who is uh, a civil servant or a public servant of any sort should know better that this new brand of conservative leadership in our country has no interest in the people that do the jobs and uh, can't wait to strip us of everything we have, our rights as human beings, our pay, our health care, anything and everything. And yet we're out there 
risking our lives, taking bullets from people, running into burning buildings, um, sitting in, in oversized classrooms, and we have no protection whatsoever. And we are the scapegoats. We are uh, the ones who take it. And I really, really, and really disappointed uh, with anybody out there who is a public servant and votes conservative and, and believes that that's the way to fix America. I think it's wrong. Uh, again, my name is Luis, and unfortunately, I'm stranded here in Texas. So someday I'll make it back home to California. Um, that is my two cents. Hi, Jay. This is Patrick from Tequesta, Florida. I just wanted to respond to a lot of the comments that I've been hearing about boycotting BP oil, um, oil and gas stations and why that's a very foolish idea. Gas stations are not corporately owned. They are franchises. And the gasoline that they deal with are commodities that are dealt with on the commodities market. If we boycott a particular BP oil station, all they're going to do is sell that commodity over to a Shell or a... Texaco, whatever gas station, that's all, the that's all the corporate office is going to do, and the only person that we're going to be striking a blow at by boycotting a particular BP oil station is the owner of that locally owned business. So I just wanted to chime in with my two cents about why that's a very foolish idea. Thanks, Jack. Love the show. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So every once in a while, a show comes along that I just can't figure out what clips to leave out, and so I don't leave any out, and then we go a couple of minutes over. So uh, apologies all around for giving you more content, uh, more awesome, awesome content than you even expected. And I'm, but I'm not going to have the show go long. I'm just going to cut out my own commentary. I'm sure no one will miss it. But uh, what you can look forward to is an upcoming story, the one I planned on telling today, about a rare uh, drive that I took. I don't own a car, so it's rare for me to drive. But I took a drive, and it not only reminded me why I hate driving, but also why I hate freedom. So you're not going to want to miss that. Go ahead and get out your pins and needles now. Just sit on those for a couple of days. And in, a, in an upcoming show, I will tell that story. It's, it's, it turns into a great analogy for uh, the, uh, the, the philosophy of living that I have uh, uh, adopted and that I would appreciate for society to adopt in a more thorough way than it already has. So that'll be good. I'm sure you can't wait. In the meantime, I'm just going to thank a couple of members. Meredith M. signed up for a leftist membership, paid for a full year in advance back on December 9th of last year. So she'll uh, be renewing this coming December. I hope. My fingers are crossed. She hasn't canceled yet. Hang, hang in there. Uh, and Laura R. signed up for a leftist monthly membership of in uh, November, uh, November 18th last year and has stuck with the show since then. So huge thanks to Meredith and Laura and all the members and donors who make the show possible. I literally couldn't do it without you guys, and I am one of those people who uh, who gets a little bit pet peeved when people use the word literally when they mean figuratively, and so I know that I'm using it absolutely accurately when I say I literally couldn't do it without you guys. 
Of course, everyone can support the show in one of many ways, uh, mostly just by telling your friends and neighbors about it, uh, and especially by sharing individual clips of the show. I've made that really, really easy for you to do. Just go to the website, and there are share buttons to post any individual clip that you particularly liked on Facebook or Twitter or Reddit or Google+, or to send it by an email or like a hundred other ways that are hidden in there. Uh, So check all of that out. To stay tuned into the show uh, between episodes directly, you can join up with us on Facebook and Twitter and also donate your Facebook and Twitter accounts to us. That uh, Details on all that are straight through the Donate Your Account banner. You can't possibly miss it on the website. Uh, get all the details of that, and if you're interested, it is uh, you know effortless, painless, free, and, um, and an excellent way to help spread the word of the show. And then finally, for details on the show itself, including links to all of the original sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always listed in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors of the show from bestoftheleft.com. Just a fond farewell to a friend